Welcome, everyone. During this month's podcast, Editor-in-Chief for the Journal of, of Investigative Medicine, Dr. Richard McCallum, is joined by guest Dr. Sanya Kaposik to discuss faculty development roles during the COVID-19 crisis. Dr. Kaposik is the Associate Academic Dean for Faculty Development at Texas Tech University, El Paso, and is also a professor of obstetrics and gynecology. She is internationally recognized in the field of reproductive medicine and ultrasound. She has published over 220 peer-reviewed articles and authored and co-authored nearly 450 chapters in textbooks. She has won many awards for her accomplishments in research and teaching, and we welcome Dr. Kaposik. Now, we are all currently facing a challenge unlike any other during our lifetime, and it is forcing us all to rethink and restructure how we live our lives, including how we approach teaching and faculty development. And Dr. Kaposik is here today to shed some personal light on how this has been affecting faculty at Texas Tech in El Paso. Without further ado, I will hand the floor over to our host, Dr. McCallum, who will start the discussion with a few questions. Thank you very much, Dr. Gonzalez. It's uh, really a pleasure to uh, welcome a, a true friend and colleague in Dr. Sanya Kapusik-Plevsik. Um, I've known Sanya now since I arrived here at Texas Tech uh, 10 years ago, and we have some interesting things in common. Uh, uh, Sanya is Croatian, as is my wife, and she has a son who uh, works and lives in Australia, I believe in Melbourne. And of course, I'm uh, an old Australian from way back from Brisbane. So, Sanya, it's really uh, a great pleasure to uh, to have you join us on this podcast. Well, thank you so much, Richard, for inviting me. Dr. McCallum, it's, uh, it's an honor. Sanya uh, and Dr. Zuba Muller authored, uh, co-authored um, an important article that will be, be appearing in the June issue of the Journal of Investigative Medicine entitled The Essentials of a Faculty Development Program in the setting of a new medical school, a 10-year-old medical school here at Texas Tech, which is evolving in El Paso. And Sonia has been crucial in making sure it does evolve and we're reaching the highest levels of faculty achievement. Uh, that was going to be our topic, but being flexible and being aware of the, of the climate we're in, Dr. Gonzalez and I thought that it'd be much more interesting for our audience to understand how the world has changed uh, not just for all of us, but specifically in the world of faculty development. So I'm going to be um, asking Dr. Uh, Kapusik-Plavsik to, to really uh, help us understand how her department uh, has, has struggled and how it's addressed it. So I'll ask you, first of all, Sonia, uh, what is the structure of your office now and how has the the COVID-19 crisis affected the structure of your office and your average workday. Give us a little insight into what's going on. 
<laughs> well, thank you, Richard, for this question, because, you know, uh, we are uh, the Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center, El Peso, is a small health sciences university. We are located in far west Texas on the U.S.-Mexico border, and uh, we consist of four schools, medical, nursing, graduate school of biomedical sciences, and dental school. And we have approximately 400 full and part-time faculty members. So more than 90%, um, approximately 370 faculty members are clinicians. And um, our institution has a robust IT department, but we do not have an office of e-learning. And so uh, we were struggling uh, in this transition to online uh, during the COVID-19 crisis, and it, it affected our work, definitely. And just also a little bit uh, of background on the structure of our office. So we consist of 16 members. Uh, we have four staff members and two faculty. And we have different, different we have complementary skills, I would say. And um, we serve faculty across all four schools. So, for example, I devote 60% of my time to administrative role as associate dean, and 40% of my time is dedicated to my clinical roles. Similar is with Zuber, Dr. Mula, he's assistant dean, and he is a distinguished epidemiologist. And he also has uh, an appointment, 30% with OB department and 70% with our office. We also have uh, an assistant director, we have uh, two lead analysts with expertise, one in information technology, and the, what, the other one with um, education, in education and bioinformatics. And also we have uh, an analyst too with training and experience in microbiology and drug discovery. Uh, so to answer your second question, how our life looks after uh, during COVID crisis, um, I would say that, um, we, uh, as our leadership of clinical services um, in our health sciences center was mobilizing healthcare workers to prepare for an influx of patients with COVID-19, uh, our small office was working in the background, preparing the contingency plans for academic and faculty development remote services. So, um, as you know, Richard, we are always running multiple faculty development programs, such as institutional faculty development course, leadership development academy, mentoring program, writing interest group, continuous faculty development program. So we had to be very strategic and um, to better serve our diverse faculty needs. Uh, during the last three years, uh, our office was systematically building online courses to complement our face-to-face -face activities. But it was very difficult to have our faculty buying in. And I would say what we were trying to do for multiple years, COVID crisis did it over the night. So um, everyone was uh, very interested to collaborate, to partner with us. And then we, we started uh, simultaneously with the transitioning of our office material uh, to the online format, we were assisting uh, faculty and staff uh, in other departments, of course, uh, starting from the creation of the guides and instructional videos on how to use learning management system, how to create and how to upload the learning material and, and quizzes for their learners. We also assisted our nursing and medical school faculty because as I said, we are 
providing service for all four schools. Uh, we helped them with the creation of an online course on COVID-19. We uploaded the videos on donning and doffing of personal protective equipment. And also we worked with the director of the Office of Clinical Informatics and Digital Health uh, and created a comprehensive and institution-wide specific for a CME hour online course on, uh, on initiation of telehealth visit. And also our lead analyst created two videos, one in English and one in Spanish for our patients on how to schedule a visit with providers at our institution. So production of this online material uh, enabled us to successfully implement telemedicine at our institution. So um, to summarize, um, in collaboration with clinical medical nursing educators, with program directors across our institution, during one month period only uh, of our remote operations, we created more than 60 courses, online courses for different levels of learners. And we were first covering the urgent educational, but also clinical needs. For example, in creation of this uh, material on, on telemedicine. Well, that's, uh, you've had a very busy month. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah. no, no question about that. Um, perhaps I would um, uh, follow this question up with uh, maybe a little speculative question in that uh, how will our post-pandemic faculty development programs look, do you think? What do you think um, the um, online teaching, the telemedicine, uh, how do you think that's going to infiltrate and influence our faculty development going forward? Well, you know, there are many reasons, uh, for reasons of public health, the economy, um, this need for social distancing, a limited number of contacts. Um, this is not going to be a simple job. Um, we are not going to be getting back to our regular clinical educational research business over the night. Well, I think that um, COVID-19 pandemic could reshape and definitely already has reshaped our education. Um, look, for example, the, the concept of um, distance education, learning anytime, anywhere, uh, in a range of formats, it is, it is a reality right now. And there's uh, also a saying that with crisis, comes the opportunity. So I think that we are really using this opportunity. So um, I think that uh, in the post-pandemic world, if you ask me, I think that traditional in-person classroom will have to occur with a very good reason. I think that um, in the future, it will be either a small group discussion or simulation-based activity. Face-to-face uh, -face learning will be complemented with uh, new learning modalities from live broadcasts as we are doing today to virtual reality experiences maybe. And I think that future learning experiences um, should be created with the learner at the center and feedback from learners on what they really want to learn uh, should be incorporated into the creation of the learning framework for adult learners many times in the future and whenever you were surveying the students or our faculty development participants uh, they used to say no more large group lecturing so yeah. similarly yeah we do not like that online learning itself will become just a remote version of classroom lecture learning 
And that's the problem because I'm concerned that the creation of, you know, because the creation of quality uh, online learning program uh, is a high input operation. It requires time, it requires expertise to develop, and it requires a significant investment to run it. I'm just afraid that the rapid shift to online learning, what we are experiencing right now, may tarnish the reputation of online education. Because we were doing it so rapidly. And also there is another issue. I know that there's a lot of resistance, especially in older generation of educators. Because definitely, Richard, you have been in this business for many years. Uh, teaching medicine, nursing, dentistry, it's a long and very complicated process. And it requires complex interaction between the learners, between the facilitators and learners, between the learners and patients. And consideration of the social, emotional, psychological development of a learner is vitally important. So um, it's not only a transfer of clinical knowledge, a transfer of clinical skills, uh, communication skills, but also you have to develop uh, professional behavior, you have to develop compassion, empathy, but also resilience nowadays. So um, more than anything else, I think to become a competent uh, professional, um, our learners need to take the ownership of their learning and they need to obtain uh, an immediate feedback and very comprehensive feedback. And these processes are very different online than in person. So for example, when you are Richard in, in the clinic and when you are uh, providing feedback, the tone of your voice, uh, the, your body language uh, uh, during this feedback will matter. Um, and this, com this, this component is completely lost in an online platform. But uh, these are the vital platforms, uh, vital components <laughs> to understand uh, and embody the, the learner's development. Uh, so uh, I think that um, we are much better uh, in understanding uh, the online education, the digital tools, uh, and uh, the way how it complements. It does not substitute the, this intimacy of one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh, contact, of face-to-face -face learning. But in post-COVID world, I believe that if you ask me, uh, that's how we are going to do it for the next generation of our faculty development. The first portion uh, of faculty development process will be online in the virtual environment, where faculty development program participants will learn new skills and new roles uh, about how to uh, perform adult, adult teaching. But also they will have ability to ask the relevant questions, concerns and challenges as educators and as scholars and uh, they will uh, also be engaging through discussion forums. But the second portion of this development process, uh, the application of knowledge uh, and the application of skills that they have learned in faculty development should occur at the workplace. So I believe that this precious in-person teaching time will be more productively utilized um, on individual in an individual learning format, in small group, in debates, in organization of a small writing group, which will be discipline specific, which will occur at the, in the work, work setting. So I think that we will, uh, we will need to ensure continuous support 
and mentoring and coaching and networking within the workplace. So that means that we have to work very closely with chairs, department chairs, and we have to, uh, we have to be aware that it will be resource intensive, but also it will be discipline or academic program specific. And this is the major limitation of, uh, I think, this second stage uh, that we have to, to anticipate in our future faculty development programs. Well, Sanya, let me ask you a final question. I know you do a lot of teaching of medical students in your simulation labs as well, and you're an ultrasound expert from your years of obstetrics and gynecology. I'm interested in the future of the handheld ultrasound probe and equipment to augment physical exams and perhaps replace much of the physical exam I certainly see in gastroenterology and liver disease, a major role for the portable ultrasound equipment. Uh, what is your personal opinion about how that's being integrated now into training of our medical students and the, and the future that you see for that particular examination tool? Well, you know, there is a saying that uh, an ultrasound equipment is a stethoscope of the future. I think that it is a stethoscope of presence. But, you know, it's not a good question for an ultrasound expert uh, because I, I clearly uh, see uh, uh, so many applications for ultrasound. But ultrasound has many uh, also limitations. And... Uh, I don't like to talk about, uh, you know, uh, some of the uh, some of the theories that uh, the and talk about the harmful effect on ultrasound, especially in obstetrics. There are many debates on this, but I think that uh, more than any other harmful harmful effect of ultrasound is lack of education. And by having equipment, by having a handheld uh, ultrasound, handheld ultrasound. Uh, doesn't mean that you are immediately an expert. Right. Uh, and uh, I'm very concerned because miniaturization of the equipment uh, is another issue. You have to really be an expert and you have to have an expert eye to see uh, the, uh, the, the pattern, the image that is going to be very relevant for performing the diagnosis. And uh, I think that, you know, we know us, and I have been performing ultrasound for more than 30 years. Uh, I think that uh, a little angulation of the probe and having, uh, if we are talking about ultrasound abdominal probe, you know, where you have, uh, uh, you have to be aware of, uh, of how delicate it is and difficult it is to see sometimes the pathological finding on a big screen, nevertheless on a small screen. And I would say that handheld ultrasound is also an excellent tool for super special, specialized uh, sonographic services because we have never had that many, uh, that many uh, indications, false indications for rescanning because uh, simple, those who are screening do not recognize abnormal from normal. And that's another problem of, uh, of uh, this, uh, this new modality. So uh, I would say that definitely handheld ultrasound, if used by an expert, may be uh, as a point of, of, uh, point of uh, service ultrasound is an excellent tool, but I think that um, I don't see 
that uh, it can be uh, initiated uh, as a tool of choice for teaching ultrasound in a medical school or during residence. You have to already gone through the, you have to go through basic courses, you have to have certain skills before you engage in this kind of adventure. That's my opinion. Very good point. I would agree with that as well. Well, I can only thank you so much, Dr. Sanya Kapusik-Plavsik, Professor of Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology here at Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and the Associate Dean for Faculty Development. I've learned a lot. I'm sure our audience is most appreciative of the information you've transmitted to us on this podcast. Thank you for your time uh, to join us today. And we look forward to also reading your article and Dr. Muller's article in the June issue. Uh, I'm sure our audience will be very interested when they see that part of your uh, career as well being laid out in a more uh, specific um, sort of blow-by-blow description as you do very well in that article. So colleagues, we're going to finish this podcast. We're going to thank you again, Sonia, for a wonderful interaction. And um, I guess we're going to wish us all um, to get through this little crisis, try to um, gird up our loins. Is that a good good British term? And um, I'm sure we'll get through it and we may see a whole new world of faculty development unfold before us. Once again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. And I'm sure we will be emerging from this crisis stronger and wiser and more experienced, at least in the use of e-learning technology and also with telemedicine for sure. Thank you so much for inviting me. My pleasure. Thank Dr. Gonzalez so much for her important work in setting our podcast up, introducing everyone, and we'll see you again uh, on the May podcast. Take care, our audience, and uh, be careful, and we'll get through this together. Bye-bye.